Surprise! We're taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us for an incredible higher education marketing and enrollment management conference February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education is amazing. Thousands of copies have been sold across the United States and the world. You can pick up your copy today on Amazon. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the EdUp Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustia back with you here on another episode. You've heard this introduction 700 times before, uh, but you haven't heard who my guest co-host is, and it's her first time coming back as a guest co-host. Of course, I feel very lucky that um, anytime I can get one of the first 125 presidents we interviewed on this on this podcast, who also was included in the book Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education available anywhere where you buy your books, including Amazon. I got to put in a quick plug for my own book, right? Is that fair? That's I think that's fair. Um, but when it, we can bring a president back to the microphone. Um, and uh, it's such an honor to be able to do that and create this, this, um, I like to say the EdUp experience is for mobilizing and revolutionizing higher education. We can't mobilize if we don't give everybody an opportunity to tell their story. And so our goal is to interview all 4,000 or it's like 3,800 presidents across the United States and possibly the world. Uh, we've, we're getting like 230, so we're well on our way. I mean, that's a little bit of a dent, wouldn't you think? Um, I'll ask that to my guest co-host today. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Angelica Garcia, she is the superintendent president at Santa Rosa Junior College. Angelica, how are you? I'm doing well, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited for today's guest. How do you feel? How does it feel to be, because usually you're going to take the questions, right? But now you're going to be asking the questions. How do you feel about this change of role? Oh, well, what I love about it is I feel like I get to be learner. And um, with this particular guest, I feel like I, there's a lot for many of us to learn from. And so I just feel real special that I get to I get to ask um, this person firsthand. Some Nailed it. We love we love that. We've got a lot of questions to ask. In fact, you were telling me uh, before this episode started that you have a number of very difficult questions for him um, and you're excited to keep him on the hot seat. I think they're your exact words, something like that. No, she didn't really say that or did she? You'll never know. Ladies and gentlemen, let me bring my guest in today. Here he is uh, and he is ready because he's got his whole he's got a school banner up behind him. He's it looks like he's in a studio or I don't know where he is. Ladies and gentlemen. He's Dr. Gregory Hill. He's president of Broward College. Gregory, how are you? Welcome to the microphone. I, I'm I'm doing incredibly well. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm actually just in my office. So well, <laughs> no that's nice. Possible, but thank you very much. That, that's that, I love it. Um, you know, we want to uh, level set for our audience, Gregory. We've had we've talked to so many college leaders. Where is Broward College? Tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it, and we'll go from there. Yeah. So Broward College is located in South Florida. Uh, it is in between, it is, we're just north of Miami-Dade County, just south of Palm Beach County. So we are in the center of South Florida, Broward County. We have about 2.1 million people. And of those 2.1 million residents living in Broward County, we serve about 56,000 students. And we are in a very diverse community. And of course we are a very diverse institution. 
we have about 140 countries of origin represented among our student body. Uh, there are about 50 languages spoken among our student body. And uh, we, uh, about 40% of our students close to are Hispanic, uh, close to 30% of our students identify as Black or African American. And of course, um, we continue to be among the most welcoming institutions uh, in our community, if not in our country as well. Amazing. So you're serving 56,000 students? That, that's correct. We have. That's one heck of a corridor down there with Miami Dade College and Broward College. I mean, you're talking about like, what, 150,000 students between uh, the two institutions. Is there a lot of competition between y'all? Are you serving your particular areas and counties? Can you talk about that? So there's uh, a lot of people in a lot of colleges down that area. Yeah, I would say that, you know, one thing we have the good fortune of is that we are actually a very collaborative institution, as are our sister institutions, not just in South Florida, but throughout the state of Florida. Um, so we, I didn't mention that we are essentially a state college, which is recognized in Florida because we are essentially an open access institution, but we offer baccalaureate degrees as well. In fact, 28 of the 28 state colleges in Florida offer baccalaureate degrees. But to the question, um, we engage in a tremendous amount of collaboration. I think that's what makes us good as institutions and what makes us good as a system. So if there are needs, I pick up the phone and call the president either north or south of me or beyond, and they do the same. It really is a, a wonderful engagement that we have with our peer institutions. You know, before we started talking, um, I heard you and, and and Helica talking about priorities. Uh, and you said something like, you got to handle a lot of things when you're sitting in this seat or some, something to that effect. You know, um, it's, it's funny, we, we interviewed uh, uh, Stephanie Markin, she's from um, Gallup. And we've had a couple other, say, higher ed adjacent people come on the podcast. And it's like, you know, you got to have a, just a little bit of a lot of passion, maybe a little bit of crazy in you to be a college president these, these days. Crazy in a good way. I mean, it in a good way, of course. There's a lot of priorities to balance, especially in, when you're in diverse communities with multiple stakeholders. You got a lot of eyes on you. What's the secret? What's the secret to longevity, Gregory? Because everybody's asking that question right now. Yeah, I think it is a great question, and, and it's particularly good when you think about what the last five years have brought us in higher education. I have been sitting in this seat effectively since July 1st of 2018, and many things have happened um, that would be considered disruptive for a given institution. We've, of course, experienced many things as a nation that would that have been disruptive um, from a national perspective. And so you think about going through all of that. And one of the things that I'm consistently thoughtful about are what are the things that I can control? What are the things that we can control at the institution? And being conscious enough to disassociate um, or not get clouded by the things that we cannot control. And it's a really important prioritization process. I think it's in many ways a skill. Certainly there's part art to it. But certainly as the president of the institution, as you lead it, um, one of the obligations that I know I have in the most challenging times is to elevate the consciousness of what we can control and focus our energies there and be, also be aware of the things that we cannot be conscious of those things because they clearly can have an impact on us, but it doesn't deserve as much energy as those things that we can control. And, you know, we were talking in jest a little bit, as you, as you said, around, you know, calendaring and appointments and, and things along those lines. But, you know, what may seem like the little things in many ways, um, in my view, leverage, I leverage the same process in doing so. 
where should you be putting your energy? What can you control? What can you not? And understand where the energy goes. And I'll just add one other point to that. It's a really important element in my view is being able to understand how to communicate that reality. Because whether it's the things that we have going on at the institution, whether it's the things that we have going on in our personal lives, communicating that reality to our, as you've alluded to, Joe, our many constituents, our students, our faculty, our graduates, our boards, our business community, our nonprofit community, those who surround us, our elected officials that are highly invested, and then some. What does it look like to communicate that reality, particularly in volatile times? Um, so that's, that's in short how I tend to think about what it looks like uh, to manage and prioritize. And Helica, I'm going to pass it to you in just a second, but I, I've, I would just want to ask a quick follow-up because that's, uh, I like the way you're talking about that. You know, um, how do you, the question I have, I guess, is how do you disassociate yourself from the day-to-day? Because -day? you must have, a, a, I'm assuming you have a great leadership team to help serve 56,000 students. That has to go without saying it's easy to get tied up in the day-to-day because -day you're getting thrown, so many things are being thrown at you, the student issues. Um, sometimes it's hard to tell what you can control and can't control because it feels like you want to control everything. Are you the voice of reason sometimes? Um, or does your leadership team have to pull you out sometimes to be able to say, okay, well, you're right, we can't control this. Or you're telling your leadership team, guys, we got to focus on this. We can't focus on that. How does that work between you and an effective leadership team to find that balance together? Yeah, I think it's a, a, a little bit of a lot of what you just described, right? And so you think about, so number one, yes, we have an incredible leadership team. Um, and one of the things that you realize when you're in a seat like this, and certainly as you ascend in leadership in any given role, but certainly when you ascend in leadership in higher ed and you achieve this, this particular role, you recognize that your number one job is to really serve the people around you so they can be the very best versions of themselves. Epic. And, and when they're the very best versions of, our, of themselves, that helps the institution, our students, and that also helps with the decision making. And so part of that reality is, you know, when you have roadblocks, what can a president do, but also when there's indecision, and that indecision often comes in what you've just described, these, you know, what priority comes first, what can we control, what can we not control, and how do we discern the two. So yes, indeed, that is an important job of mine to the extent that there are certain elements uh, or areas that are not resolved and they need to come to me, and just being supportive uh, in that regard is, is, is obviously very important. Well, I want to pass it to you, Angelica, but first, I want to get everybody ready. Prepare to be astonished. Okay, now you could go. <laughs> Those sound effects are really cracking me up. <laughs> um, well, um, Gregory, uh, thanks for saying that we could just kind of be on a first name basis. I think that's another thing, right? We do have the titles and, and you might have the doctorate, but at the end of the day, we are we are people trying to just, I think, do very good jobs. I actually want to take you back um, to the beginning of your presidency, so about five years ago. Um, so I shared with you earlier that I was in the second cohort of the new president's fellows for the Aspen Institute, and, and you came in as a, as a speaker, and um, you shared about Broward Up and um, the approach and the framing. And it's it's certainly something that has, um, that has stuck with me um, because I think it's such a model of what it means to engage in, 
I would say true partnership with the community. So would you mind sharing with our, with, with our listeners a little bit about, uh, well, just Broward up and, and um, kind of the very big way in which you launched it. Um, I believe at your installation, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that very much. So, you know, I, I'm going to tell a very, lead it in with a very short story uh, about myself. And I think that'll help your listeners understand um, the development of the Broward Up model. So I, um, I was, you know, one of those kids that grew up in a very challenged zip code, a very challenged city, uh, 80s and 90s, South Jamaica, Queens, in the height of the crack epidemic, and, uh, and lived in just a very difficult environment. And so one of the things that happened during my childhood is that I ended up going to a school that was not in my neighborhood. Um, in fact, um, my mother used a false address so I could go to school in a much nicer neighborhood. And uh, so I would, uh, as a very young kid, go through the projects, get on the bus for 45 minutes, get off, walk for another 15 minutes or so before getting to my elementary school. And I graduated elementary school in 1989. And I said to a friend who was from a more affluent background, the neighborhood that we were in school in, I said, Isn't this amazing, we're going to be the last class of the decade. And he said, no, um, we're going to be the last class of the millennium because we're going to graduate college in 1999. And that was the first time I heard the word college. And so here I was hearing it for the first time from another sixth grader who knew exactly what year he was going to graduate. And I didn't realize the potency of that moment at the time. But then fast forward, first of all, I do graduate college in 1999. And then 19 years later, I happened to be serving as the president of Broward College. And as I sought the position, one of the things I couldn't help but think about is the reality that exists throughout this country, that there is essentially people who are brilliant and could do so many things, but are underexposed to just the very basic opportunity, and in the worst case, even the word college. And so what we embarked upon was to ask ourselves, using data in a, in a very big way, uh, what would it be like if the communities that had the greatest challenges, and we really define that as highest unemployment rate, lowest education attainment rates, what if we were inescapable to those communities? Because as it stood at the time, we were essentially, we actually diagrammed and mapped this out. We looked at our locations as it related to those communities that had the highest unemployment rates and lowest education attainment rates. And essentially we were nowhere to be found. We were asking people with no transportation, no technology, and no time because maybe they had multiple jobs or multiple children, single parents, you name it. We were asking those people to come to us. And so what we essentially did was we challenged ourselves to say, what would it be like if they did not have to come to us, but we went to them? So in Helen, we about this issue around partnership. Um, one of the things that we said immediately was we were not going to wait till we had the money to build buildings. We went to organizations and cities that had mutual interest, and we, we did something very simple. We said, we wanna bring our faculty, advisors, and staff into the heart of those communities that have the highest unemployment rates, lowest education attainment rates. We went to those nonprofits in those communities. We went to cities. We went to county with facilities in those communities, and they all said yes. They gave us their space in the heart of the communities with the highest unemployment rates, lowest education attainment rates at no cost. We brought our faculty. We had philanthropic support. And then the point you raised, um, I indeed announced this more publicly at my investiture. And it was at that time that my family and I decided to make a $100,000 gift in support of this effort. And since then, we've seen uh, tremendous returns in terms of 
uh, in the last four years, four and a half years, we've served near 5,000 students who did not have to leave their neighborhood. And so think about the story I started with personally. We literally are located within feet of low income or project housing and people can look outside of their bedroom and living room windows and see Broward College and walk there to take their programming, to take their course, to get their certification that helps transform their lives. So that's been the effort which we've described as Broward UP, UP standing for unlimited potential, recognizing the unlimited potential of every individual, regardless of where they happen to reside. Tell them like it is. Attention. Are you ready to elevate your institution's marketing and enrollment strategies? Join the EdUp Experience podcast at the Insights EDU conference, February 20th to 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Don't miss out on this opportunity to hear from engaging speakers from industry-leading companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and higher ed leaders. Learn the latest marketing and enrollment strategies to grow your programs. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code add up to save $50 off your registration. Attention. Oh, yeah. Join the movement to mobilize and revolutionize higher education by picking up your copy of Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education today. This book has been featured in Forbes, NPR, Harvard Business Review, CEO World Magazine, NBC News, CBS News, and Business Insider, among many others. Don't miss out on what today's highest college leaders have to say about the future of higher education. Pick up your copy on Amazon. I just, I love that so much. And I know that you have it trademarked um, because of the model and the effort. And um, one of the things, so so I come into the scene, so folks will know I became um, a campus president at Berkeley City College on May 7th of 2020. So right at the height of the pandemic. and um, Perfect timing. Yeah, right. And so as I'm as I was going through this um, fellowship and, um, you know, we're, we're getting the opportunity to ground ourselves in data and ask ourselves tough questions, but it was actually your um, contributions and speaking to that day that finally gave me language for all of these things that I thought and experienced, but I didn't have the language for. Mm -hmm. So what you don't know is that after um, that particular session, I um, went completely in and asked the question of myself and of my college of the time, Berkeley City College, what would it look like for Berkeley City College to uh, disrupt generational poverty? Amazing. That was the question. And, and much to what you offered, you, you posed it in such a way of what would it look like, feel like, sound like, smell like yeah. um, to engage as a community. And so um, that is something that has stuck with me and um, which is actually why I was excited to um, serve in this opportunity. So I want to ask one kind of follow-up question here because we never know, right, when we're going to be able to and, and just being yourself and doing you, how you might influence others. Um, and so I wanted to just kind of circle that back and, and, and offer this back to you. Thank you for that gift of sparking my own thinking and giving me language. Um, but you said something when you were introducing the college that has also struck me, and that's the level of um, diversity that you have. So 40% Hispanic, Latino, 30% Black, African-American, and you are leading an institution at a time in which um, I would say the 
aggressions towards public higher education are high. I think um, the aggressions towards diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, right? So I sit here in the state of California, you're over on the other coast mm-hmm. in Florida. And I'm just wondering in your in your process and in your leadership, um, what is it, what is it like for you to provide that level of leadership for an incredibly diverse campus, knowing that there are state and national um, pressures, critiques yeah. of higher education. You know, so this actually falls right in line um, when we talk about, you know, how do you make the decisions, right? What can you control and what you cannot control? And so one of the things that obviously we have to be conscious of controlling is our capacity to serve everyone in Broward County, everyone in our community, every uh, one in our college. And that's that has been something that we've had to make sure as we communicate remains untarnished, right? That becomes an incredibly important focal point. And so the individuals, fortunately, and again, Joe, this speaks to your your point earlier about having a great team of individuals. You know, one thing I love about working in higher ed so much is that the people that I work with don't just do this because they need a nine to five, right? They do this because they have extraordinary passion they recognize the importance of going above and beyond for every individual that they serve because they know how transformative that is. Those are the consistent elements that regardless of, of you know, what may be happening outside the walls, we are always focused on. So you have these elements of our institutions that yes, they garner a lot of attention, but at the end of the day, there's not a single person at Broward College who's decided that they're going to serve less. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important part to remind ourselves. And, uh, and, and, and yes, it is. It could be very easy to, to get distracted by other things, but our focus in that regard has never changed. I like your style, dude. I, I have to ask, because we, we, you uh, and Helica hit it on the head, right? So the, um, and I talked about this yesterday, there's this ebb and flow of, of uh, responsiveness and awareness of DEI. It's kind of was high for a while. You come out of George Floyd and the pandemic, and there's these factors that made it more uh, more aware. Everybody became more aware. And then there's always this elasticity in things, in awareness, where people go, that's a little bit too much awareness for me. And you see parts of the country uh, re- uh, go backwards in certain ways. And you think about what can you control, what can't you control? Well, isn't the thing that we can control when it comes to um, serving people from lower economic backgrounds or minority backgrounds to leave them with a high quality education, despite all that noise out there. Isn't that the truth, right? Cause it's easy to get caught up in the What's the policy and how does this affect us? And what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do the same thing we always did, which is produce, give, give people an education so they can create generational wealth, right? Isn't that true? That's the, isn't that the, how so you shift focus? I, 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 you, you couldn't be more spot on, Joe. So let me, let me tell you how I, how I kind of think about this and elaborate on this. Um, you think about the fulcrum that post-secondary education provides, um, and it's a fulcrum for uh, clearly um, uh, uh, higher financial returns, um, but also just as clearly higher quality of life, uh, you uh, live a healthier life, longer life, you're less likely to be incarcerated, less likely to be on public systems, less likely to be unemployed. If you are unemployed, you're less likely to stay unemployed. All of these things are true regardless of your background, 
Yes. Regardless of your background. And so when you focus on that, that is why the all becomes so critically important. You know, one of the things I did describe to you, obviously Broward up, but one of the, 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 the next level of this work that we've been doing. So just to give you a little bit of a, a little bit more of a framework of Broward County, I mentioned the number of people. We have about 31 cities and 31 municipalities, 31 cities in Broward County. And right now our Broward work up work is extended to about 11 or 12 different cities. And so one of the things though that we are embarking on is being very well embraced by our local community is what we're calling lift every city. And so I want you to imagine for a moment, uh, particularly as we talk about enrollment challenges and declines in many cases, what does it look like to stop talking about enrollment declines in the context of an institution, but enrollment declines or enrollment for that matter in the context of a city. And so what we are embarking on, uh, and again, we're 11 or 12 cities in now, is shared, shared accountability frameworks with each of our 31 cities regarding enrollment. Now, if you ask any elected official of a given city um, what their unemployment rate is, they're likely to tell you. What they are unlikely to tell you is the leading indicators of those unemployment rates. And that would be, of course, education attainment, which is a leading indicator of that. And so what we're embarking on is for all of our 31 cities to have a shared accountability framework for enrollment by city. And so we could tell you the enrollment by city, we could tell you the attainment by city, and what we're halfway doing is being able to tell you that for every city, we have accountability frameworks so we could have distinct partnerships by city. And again, I raise this, Joe, because this is regardless of income. This is about making sure that everyone has an opportunity to increase their skill sets, attainment, and of course, enhance their lives at the end of the day. Every city has a different reality. And so as we serve this entire community, our reality of serving that city must be different as well. And so lift every city, imagine shared accountability frameworks by city meeting each of their respective needs and working together. So that it is not just because the reality is enrollment. I'm in Broward College is an institution that is designed to support educational opportunity, but it is for the individuals in those communities. It is for them to be lifted and served. And if we're not thinking with that kind of consciousness and focus, my view is we're not doing quite enough. 100%. Angelica, I, I see you, you're ready to yeah, dive in. <laughs> well, um, you know, I think that this is, again, another example of um, having the conversation around um, uplifting entire communities. And um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the leadership that you are offering is that it seems like you are at the same time offering a very directed invitation to local communities and cities and political and elected officials to partner with you, nonprofits and for-profits. So the invitation is, hey, partner with us. But what I appreciate is that accountability that says, because it's going to take all of us mm -hmm. to lift entire communities. And, and we have um, our respective areas of expertise. So, so the framing of that is one that really resonates with me. Um, I know that your background um, is, in, is in law, you're JD. Mm -hmm. uh, my background is as a social worker. And so I tend to operate in terms of systems and communities of systems coming together to uplift an individual and community. And so I just want to highlight that while we have different educational trainings to get to these seats, yet again, I'm it's it's um, hopeful for me um, to uh, to look across 
the country and yeah. see what that model is looking like. You know, I'm here at Santa Rosa Junior College in Sonoma County. I have five sites, everything from, a, I was sharing with Joe earlier, I have a farm, a public safety training center, um, a Petaluma campus, which has a lot of our career technical education. And, and this college right here, um, the Santa Rosa main campus and our Roseland, SRJC Roseland, which is for predominantly um, ESL non-credit students. But I'm sharing this with you because I want to go back to something that Joe said about the uh, longevity of serving in these roles. So I am the sixth president in over 105 years of this college. I am the first woman um, to uh, assume this role. Tell them like it is. The first Latina and the first out queer. And so there's a lot that opportunity that comes with being the first. And there also is a lot of um, challenge and, and managing kind of uh, what it is that the community wants of you. So my question uh, coming back to you is in the role that you have now um, as president or in your journey to get here, what are the ways in which, you know, kind of the identity of who you are as a person is a part of the work that you do, um, but not somehow this open invitation where then you are completely consumed by everyone else and, and staying focused to the college. What is what is your secret sauce to staying committed and focused to the college, knowing that you could be a lot of things for the broader community? Yeah. So I would look, I, I've had the benefit, um, and I say that with sincerity, I, I have had the benefit of being invited um, to a lot of rooms and places where I've gotten to either share my story, provide some skill that I've acquired, provide some service or insight. And, and I, I, I truly do relish those opportunities. Um, I, I kind of tell you a funny, it, it may seem like a funny story, but um, so I grew up, uh, as I mentioned, in South Jamaica, Queens, New York. And, uh, and I mentioned how, how difficult of a neighborhood it was. And I used to play this sport called handball. And uh, I think uh, heads nodding. In case, yes. your, in case your audience doesn't know, it's, it's essentially you have a, a blue rubber ball about two inches in diameter. It's very buoyant, and you hit it with your hand against the wall. That's very basic. Um, it sounds very basic, but it is intense. I mean, it is very intense. Yeah, there, there's a. It's big in Long Island in New York City handball. That's exactly right. And I grew up in Queens, so I was on my way to a park to go play handball. And I, as I, as I'm on my way to the park. I see this, there's a, another area, it's, you know, it's full of dirt typically, and all of a sudden I see hundreds of people and I hear um, someone rapping and I hear people yelling and they're having a really good time. And uh, so this had to be in the mid, it was certainly in the mid nineties, uh, had to be before 1995, before I went to college. And uh, long story short, it was Tupac Shakur doing a free concert in this park and and with nothing but a mic and on the ground and being surrounded by people oh <laughs> and, yeah uh, yeah it was it was incredible actually and uh and so but but here was the coolest part about it is that after the concert he talked to us and he said things like i kid you not we have to stop killing each other we have to love each other we have to take care of each other and forever, I will remember how amazing it was for someone who did not even live in my community to come to my community, do a free concert, but more important than anything else, spend some time actually guiding us, sharing with us. And so I'm gonna tell you, I am not, I am, I am not the one who could 
tell you about how good I am at saying no to service, about saying no to being there, about saying no to trying to inspire, about trying, about, about saying no to giving someone guidance. Um, many students have my cell phone number. I tell the world, call me if you need me, and I mean it, because I know, like it was yesterday, what it is like to want or desire, but to have, you think, no one there. Mm -hmm. And so, and, uh, and so much, much like anything else, and much like many of us, there's a lot that I experienced as a youth that I hope to never forget because it reminds me of the challenges that exist today. And it also provides me with um, sometimes the courage, sometimes the strength, sometimes the stamina and energy mm -hmm. to go and be where otherwise I might choose not to be just so I can help uh, someone else. Epic, epic, epic. Thank you. All wow. right, Joe. I'll give well, you a chance now, Joe. <laughs> I, what about, I think I should just end the episode after that exchange, uh, but I, I do want to go back just briefly to the word community mm -hmm. because it's coming up so often, uh, Gregory, and what you're saying. Um, the shared accountability model is very interesting because if you go to a community and you say, hey, look, do you want less educated people or more educated people you'd think that there isn't anybody a community leader that would say oh we're gonna have less educated people but that's what's happening right now when students are continually questioning and i think the media too questioning the value of higher education it's it's happening across the nation there are a lot of negative articles about higher ed it's cost it's relevance it's our response, particularly in, in terms of speed or, um, you know, uh, workforce readiness and so on and so on and so on. And there, there's just enrollment drop to your point. And part of that enrollment drop, and I, I talk a lot about this too, that, you know, we always talk about competitive higher education and it's this institution versus that institution. And my argument is it's not, it's this institution versus does higher ed have value? Because there are things around a student now that are all communicating against the value of higher ed, including social media that says you can become a millionaire with AI programs now. You need to go to college. What's happening in the communities around you? Is that message permeating those communities? Are you seeing it, not seeing it? What's happening in, in, your, in your counties? So, you know, I, I don't think in this manner we're distinct from what the rest of the country is seeing. And uh, I know I, I think some of the latest data revealed, again, another decline in how higher education is perceived and, and the value of it. And, and look, we have to take responsibility for some of that um, as institutions. Now, you talked about the cost. I think we're at $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. Um, those are real. And of course, you can disaggregate that by different types of institutions and level of post-secondary education. And, and, and obviously, you know, those are important distinctions to be had. But from a messaging perspective, if you are a listener and you understand that or you believe that higher education is already unattainable simply because of the cost of it, and then you start to hear that if I am to find a way to cover it, that I might be debt burdened in a way that doesn't allow me to do other things that might, uh, that might be enjoyable in life. You know, those are real concerns that we have to take responsibility for. We can't ignore them, we can't brush them off. Um, and so one, of course, it means taking action. Uh, and, and I'm proud to say, frankly, Broward College was recognized by US News and World Report most recently last year, 
for having uh, a student having the least amount of debt of any other college or university in the southeastern United States. That's that, a fact. That's a fact. And, and that's something we, we, we talk about to try to address that countervailing notion that if I do this, that it is uh, it's going to cause me to be debt-ridden. But let me, let me say another point around this. There are many people, as we know, that essentially believe that higher education, this challenge is not new, you raised, Joe, that, that believe that higher education is for other people, right? That, that's, that reality has been around for a very long time, right? If you go to um, 1947, uh, you have uh, the Higher Education Commission coming together, and this is the Truman Commission, and I'll never forget the language in the report around um, disavowing the notion that post-secondary opportunity is only for the child of a wealthy father or the wealth of the father being the greatest determining factor of your likely income outcomes or your likelihood of post-secondary attainment or that it is for many, but I quote, not for the likes of us. Yikes! And so, so part of what we, Broward College, and perhaps others, but certainly Broward College, is, has to take responsibility for ensuring that everyone knows that it is not for the limited few. It is for all. And that is a very difficult but real element of our work. Uh, it's part of the reason that we have this lift every city philosophy. It's part of the reason that we have stopped asking people with no transportation, no time, and no technology to come to us. It is about making sure. So my, my, my daughters, I have two, I haven't mentioned this, but my daughters are seven and 11. You've heard how I learned about college. My daughters will never remember the first time they learned about college because it has been ingrained in them literally since the day that they were born. Yeah, my dad goes to college every day to work. Every single right? day, right? And so when you think about what does it look like? What does it look like to have an ambition as an institution to make sure that the reality, the possibility of post-secondary attainment exists for everyone, like my daughters think about it, right? It is an ambition and it has to be, in my view, our ambition if we are to even seek to fulfill the basis for our existence. Mm. I just, I'm, I have to jump in here, Joe, because I think that um, I'm finding, Gregory, I think you and I could be best friends if we weren't on opposite sides of the country. And here's why. Yes. I have, I have an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old. And this very conversation about their existence, um, what they see as, as higher ed is very much a part of, of mama's, right? Mama's work, mm -hmm. mama's role. Mm -hmm. So much so that my oldest has actually lived on two college campuses. So she, she definitely has a, a different perspective. But what you bring up, and I love the language that you said, that what would it look like for us to have the ambition as an institution to really um, make real that higher education is for all? And I'm, I'm wondering a little bit about with the Lift Every City, um, where are you with that in the partnerships? Um, what are the ways in which cities are saying yes to this uh, shared accountability with Broward College? Yeah, so um, the ambition is to get to all 31 of our cities. I think we're at 12 now or so. And what's been great about the partnerships is 
you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, we have been really elevating the reality of the enrollment challenges that we've been seeing at the nation, at the community. So imagine going to a city now, right? And saying, so you, you've helped the city understand your unemployment rate is X, your attainment rate, the leading indicator of your unemployment rate is Y. And by the way, did you know that you have, you have 1,000 less residents in college this year than you did last year, right? And so when you have that conversation by city, it's, it's some uh, city managers, city officials, they're, they're, they're surprised by it, of course, right? What and the heck is going on? It, well, and they may respond that way as well. And you start to say, okay, now, what does it look like public servant elected leader for us to be able to work towards um, ameliorating that reality? Uh, and so, you know, and then, you know, you build the momentum, you have the conversations, you have the teams come together, you know, what's the accountability and what are we going to do collectively now? Not what does Broward College do, but what do we do collectively by city to be able to do that? What locations will you give us so that we can make sure that we're able to talk to your people in your community? What are the marketing tools that you have available as a city to be able to work with us and communicate? What, what are the primary touch points in your community for residents, all residents in your community, so that we can work together in those partnerships. And like I said, these are curated by city because again, cities are different, the population yeah. is different, the opportunities are different and so on and so forth. And so it's, it, it is a very important ambition of ours to be able to truly be able to say, we're serving everyone. And by the way, we know that this is too big to do it alone. Yeah. No, we have to have the humility to understand that it will be with you that we accomplish this goal, not in isolation. Hmm. You know, it's not very often, but it does happen that we have this convergence of of personalities and and at the perfect time and the perfect guests and the perfect guest co-host. And this is kind of one of those episodes. Uh, and I think that you just if you listen back to this you're going to get something really relevant out of this episode. You're going to learn about Broward College and you're going to learn about your background, Gregory, and, and I think how we serve more people, how we, how we mobilize and the resources that are out there that you can mobilize, that you're not thinking about uh, municipalities and counties. And, you know, can you mobilize more than, more than yourself in your own institution? How do you mobilize around you? Um, so I want to leave you with our final two questions so you can take us home, uh, Gregory. Number one, what did we not say about, about Broward College? Anything else that you would like to say? Open mic. Take that one first. Yeah, I, I, I guess one of the things that I, I will always um, relish and be grateful for is that the Kurs institution has shown um, some of the things that I've described to you. We don't have a model to rely upon. We are building the models ourselves. Um, we started some work that we call Thor to the Top. And uh, in Broward County, and, and maybe elsewhere, but certainly in Broward, there is no accountability or incentive framework for high school principals to send their kids, send their students to college. There's no, you get this resource, you get this benefit, you get this incentive. Um, and so what we decided to do was to start by identifying the 13 high schools in our communities with the highest unemployment rates, lowest education attainment rates. And we decided to create our own incentive framework. We took the 13 high schools, we grouped them by size, and we said, we're gonna create a financial incentive 
as well as provide uh, human capital and support to help increase the number of kids from your institution going to college. Epic. In, in the first year, um, we saw a 26% increase in the number of students coming from those high schools. It's amazing. Colleges. And when I describe to you these efforts, what I'm describing to you are people behind these efforts who say it, they are not shy about saying we have to do better. They are not shy about saying we must be willing to try things that we've never done and maybe even willing to try things that we've never seen. And so I am truly grateful to be a part of an institution that has the will uh, to engage with that kind of courage. Wow. Tell us what you see for the future of higher education. Um, I think one of the things, I think this might be scary to some folks, but um, we have to think about different ways um, to grade ourselves. You know, it's, it, is, it is so imperative that we focus on the, the, the students and the needs, excuse me, the individual needs of students. And, and, and it's okay to recognize that some students at a given point in their life may not be able to get a bachelor's degree, they may not be able to get an associate's degree, but they may need a certificate or short-term credential that's going to help them get from point A to point B. And without any judgment, we have to have one thing in mind, is what is going to be best and what's going to be the best opportunity for a given individual. And as we continue to grow into that, I think that um, as respective institutions and certainly um, as a nation, we'll start to see even more productivity than we have. Bullseye. I love that. I think you're totally right. Um, and Helic, I got to ask you my amazing, special, and I had been waiting for this to be able to co-host with you because I know you and your personality are made for a microphone. <laughs> um, what'd you think of this uh, episode in your first co-hosting gig here? That, you know, this, this episode, I, you know, I'm a constant learner. I feel like the, the work that we do in higher education, I think as leaders of organizations is that we have to be willing to be constant learners. And so as much as I felt like um, we were having a conversation, trust that I have taken uh, some nuggets down as uh, I, I now embark to think about, um, you know, the opening plenary session comments that I have uh, prepared for this Friday. And I will say on the one hand, an affirmation that some of the language and the things that I'm going to talk about are really not that out of bounds. They might be different for this county, this community at this time, but it's, um, I feel affirmed knowing that I have a an accomplice and, and, a, and a colleague across the country that is trying to engage in, in some similar work. And so, so I learned a lot, but I think the other piece that I, um, that I really gathered from this is an opportunity to just um, kind of showcase the humanity and, and the humility and the grace with which I think Gregory embodies his role um, as the president of Broward College, but I, I would say even as a, a kind of a leading thinker in higher education. Um, I think that there's a lot to learn from here. I certainly am going to go back. I'm already thinking about how I'm going to have my president's cabinet listen to this and say, okay, so what does this spark for you? And just leave it open as a, as a development and a, a team building session for us. So thank you so much, um, Gregory, for taking the time. I, I feel honored to have shared this time with you. And also you, Joe, this was Well, fun. thank you. Uh, you know, thank you for sliding me in at the very end, Angelica. <laughs> that's fine. Ladies and gentlemen, my amazing guest co-host, Dr. Angelica Garcia, and she is superintendent president at Santa Rosa Junior College. It's such an honor to have you back. 
Uh, Gregory, I have to ask you before we let you go, how was your time here on EdUp? What'd you think of this? Oh, I had an incredible time. Uh, thank you both for the opportunity uh, to engage uh, and to soundboard and to learn a little bit as well. I really do appreciate it and just, you know, keep spreading the good word. We need these messages to, to get out to the community. Got to mobilize, ladies and gents. That's what we have to do to kind of fight back against this higher ed doesn't have value rhetoric. It's going to take all of us. Our guest today, your guest today, is Gregory Hale. He is president of Broward College, and he is a man on a mission. Wow, what a great episode. I thank you both for your amazing insights. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. Oh, yeah. Attention, higher ed marketing and enrollment management professionals. We are taking the EdUp Experience podcast to Insights EDU. Join us at Insights EDU on February 20th to 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Gain insight into the latest higher education trends and cutting edge marketing strategies that'll take your institution's enrollment to a whole new level. This is your opportunity to connect with higher education leaders and marketing experts from across the country comprehensive presentations, engaging panel discussions, and more. Insights EDU will equip you to position your institution for growth. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Can you afford to miss this conference? I don't think so. Attention. Forbes called commencement the beginning of a new era in higher education, a dispensable touchpoint for what's being said in, about, and around higher education now. Don't miss the insights from 125 college and university presidents about what the future of higher education holds. Pick up your copy of Commencement on Amazon today.